Welcome back to, to the, the Dead, Dead to the, the World, World podcast. podcast. Sorry, my voice is like a little cracky right there. But anyway, it's Lexi. And this is Mama Dawn. And this is Tasha. Tasha, your best friend, the backyard. <laughs> I haven't said that for a while. <laughs> I think it every time, but I like have so much self-control to not do it. Sure you do. I was out shopping the other day with Aunt Jen, and we walked through a line, and there was like a Mike Mazow- what. Mike Wazowski mug mm-hmm. and a, like a Sully mug. And oh, she's no. like, you need to get this for your girls. <laughs> they talk about them all the time on the podcast. Wait, who were you with? Aunt Jen. Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, just the way you said that didn't sound like, like how she would talk Oh, to okay. me. Yeah. I don't know why. Just as you said that. It just didn't sorry. sound real. It's just like the way she said it. She's like, oh, you guys talk about this a lot. You should get this for Lex and Tosh or something. Yeah. So you saying your girls, I got triggered oh, for a minute. That I was like, oh, is this someone that doesn't know Because she would say the girls. <laughs> yeah, I got confused. Yeah. But that was right. unnecessary. I'm sorry. That's okay. It's okay. We're here no, for it. No, it was awesome though because I went shopping for clothes. I'm a weird girl. I hate shopping for clothes. Well, I don't know how I, I came hate, from you. I hate shopping for clothes too. So that is my entire career. Uh, I know. I know. Good thing it's your career, <laughs> not mine. Well, and it's funny. I was telling, um, I was talking about going to work or no, at work, I was talking about going shopping mm-hmm. and, you know, they were, somebody was like, oh, where do you love to go shopping? I'm like, I don't love to go shopping. <laughs> You're like false. <laughs> but then I was also talking about the fact that because Lexi's so good at picking out clothing, obviously she's a buyer. So kind. That... I send pictures of stuff to Lexi, and I'm like, do you approve? Like, I think this is really cute. Do you think it's really cute? Mm-hmm. <laughs> she's she's vetoed some things, but for the most part, she's like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. You yeah. have pretty good taste. Yeah, yeah, that's that's nice. That's yeah. nice. Or she'll Sometimes say, she's oh, like, hell no, my mom ain't going to be wearing that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes she's like, what is that design? Like, no. <laughs> It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> It'd be like that. I love it, though. Some, it's okay. She someday, helped me through life, too. I'll be rich enough that I'll buy you all something real nice. All right. Can I tell you something kind of funny, too? I I talked about my work trip on our last episode, but when I was talking about shopping, there was a lady at work, and she's like, oh, have you heard of The Secret of Sexy? And I'm like, no. And she says, oh, yeah, it's this book where you just take your measurements, and then it tells you, like, what style of clothes look good on your body. Oh. So it's really interesting. She's like, do you want to borrow it? And I'm like, sure. And... And then I said, um, but don't tell my husband I'm borrowing a book that says The Secret of Sexy before I spend a week with a coworker that's a male in another country <laughs> by myself. And my boss was sitting on the other side of us, and he just kind of looks over like, what are you guys talking about, about over that's there? Hilarious. And don't worry, I did tell Daddy Dell because it was really funny. He, we trust each other. It's not like that was a real consideration. You should have said to your boss, I can't tell you. It's a secret. And yeah. it's about something sexy. It's the secret of sexy. <laughs> it's like, Shh, you, don't, sh- you don't need to know. You don't need to know. <laughs> Boys are incapable of being sexy. I'm just kidding. Well, and you want to even make it more funny, it was the HR manager that oh, <laughs> was whoa. talking hey, to me yo. about it. <laughs> I walked the line. She's funny. Get it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank You're you welcome. For that. <laughs> okay, should we get started? Let's get started. <gasps> should we tell them what today's episode is, even though they already know because they read the title and they clicked on it? Or uh, they might have just been binging and it just started. You're right. Well, it's a so now thought. by now they probably looked down to see what the title was <laughs> if they had it already. That's okay, Lexi. It's a free for all. Woo, woo, woo. We all got to pick whatever in the crap we wanted to talk about. Yeah. And now we're going to talk about it. 
And I'm going first, being Lexi, not Tasha. Okay, so my story is from the sleep. It's about sleep? Shopincorporated.com. I'm just teasing. For some reason, sleep and shop being right next to each other in this link, and it's separated. I just put the link in here. Yeah. It, it was hard to read. It looks like it says sleeps hopnik. <laughs> <laughs> so I was a little confused. Okay. The sleep shop incorporated.com. And I'm going to be talking about the Russian sleep experiment. Ooh. And I'm just going to give it. I don't even know what that is. So um, a tiny warning at the beginning of this one, because it is like a little gory, I guess. Okay. But it's not too bad. I think you'll all be okay. Okay, so it says, while many claim that the Russian sleep experiment never occurred, it arguably remains one of the most infamous urban myths ever to circulate on the internet. An urban mist or a myth? Myth. Myth. <laughs> <laughs> An urban myth. So, one of the Russian researchers during the Soviet... Sorry, doesn't that sound like a great perfume? Urban mist? It does. <laughs> Mostly for a man. Like, it sounds like more like a cologne than a perfume. Well, I don't know. Urban, There's like well, Urban mist. Outfitter sounds like yeah. women to me. Urban Mist. Okay. TM that name. <laughs> okay, on my way. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway. <laughs> so, one of the Russian researchers during the Soviet era steps into a chamber containing five human test subjects. As usual, he expects to find his test subjects, but he's shocked by the horrific scene that he meets. I am sh on pins and needles. <laughs> he hears loud screams, which sound more like he stepped into hell itself. In front of him is the body of one of the test subjects that's been eviscerated and ripped up. And if you don't know, eviscerated means like disemboweled. Ooh. Yeah, that's gross. But as he looks closely, he realizes even his four surviving test subjects' limbs are missing some chunks of flesh. The ends of their fingers showed exposed bones and their foreheads were sheared of skin. Ew. What? Yep. So the researcher panics and wonders what inferno of madness he just stepped into. He panics and starts thinking about what might have gone wrong. The researcher begins thinking, so beddings and the food weren't that great, big deal. But tearing up your own flesh because of losing a little bit of sleep, that's ridiculous. So what exactly was the Russian sleep experiment? That's what I was just going to say. Like, <laughs> what That was just doing? to get you sucked in. Oh, well, you've got Mission accomplished. So have you ever thought about what might happen if you went sleepless for 30 days nonstop? I'd Ugh, probably die. I couldn't do it. In the 40s during the Soviet era, a certain group of scientists set out to find out the results of 30 sleepless days and nights. It was during this period that the Soviet researchers believed they had created a stimulant capable of keeping a soldier sleepless for a long time. That's because every nation... That's because every nation, such as Germany, the USA, England, etc., were looking for ways to world to win World War II. And the Russian sleep experiment was the Soviet Union's strategic weapon. So they wanted to figure out how to keep them awake mm -hmm. so they mm -hmm. could fight in the war. Do more. Okay, okay, I gotcha. Before rendering it safe, they decided to test it on human subjects. And since it was during the World War, finding test subjects wasn't a hassle, as there were plenty of war prisoners. The researchers designed the scientific experiment to run for 15 days so that they could determine if it was best to be used on their soldiers. So, but I thought it was 30 days and nights. Yes. She okay. hasn't gotten there yet. Okay. So, while the gas chamber where the airborne stimulant would be released was under prep, five prisoners of war were misinformed that if they could make 30 days within the gas chamber, they'd be set free. So, they agreed. So, I think they're saying 15 nights. So, they're saying like 12 hours, 
30 times. Okay. Which is 15 days. Oh, gotcha. From my understanding, that's what's going on. Um, So, yeah, they basically told the war prisoners, if you make it through this experiment, we'll let you free. So they were like, sure, I'll do it. (laughs) Yeah. Bring it on. Yep. So the Soviet Union researchers locked the prisoners in a sealed chamber. Everything they required, like running water, a toilet, and a bed without bedding, were in the chamber. The researchers continuously administered the stimulant gas into the test subjects to make sure they stay awake. At the same time, they would monitor if the oxygen levels were fine. For the first three days, everything seemed okay, and the gas was doing its job as expected. However, things took a darker turn on the fourth day when the prisoners started speaking of the horrors they've witnessed at war, among other increasingly traumatic incidents. On the fifth day, things became much worse when the prisoners fell into psychosis. Apart from talking to themselves, they started seeing things that weren't there. They also became paranoid about their fellow prisoners and would often whisper on the microphones in the chamber about the other test subjects. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So on the ninth day, two prisoners started screaming while running around. The screams were so loud that they almost broke their vocal cords. Suddenly, out of the blue, there was an instant silence. There was no screaming, and even then, the other test subjects stopped talking. The researchers had their worst fears of what might be happening in the chamber because they couldn't see. Oh. They could talk to them through microphones, but they couldn't see See. them. Okay. That makes more sense now. So there was an eerie silence, and the scientists could still hear one of the prisoners saying, we don't want to be free. It was on the 15th day that the researchers decided to open the chamber only to meet a horrific result. One of the prisoners was dead. The dead prisoner was severely mutilated, just like the other four surviving test subjects. Their abdomen was ripped open and the flesh torn off. Ew. Gross. So you might be wondering what happened to the four surviving test subjects. Apparently, all five test subjects had eaten their own flesh. Every surviving test subject refused to leave the chamber. Surprisingly, they fought with extreme strength compared to when they walked into the chamber, despite their self-inflicted wounds. Moreover, they were so aggressive when fighting back that they tore their muscles from their bones while resisting removal from the chamber. Wow. It seemed as if they had superhuman powers. Were they possessed? Well, they were... That's what it sounds without like. Without sleep. <laughs> when asked why they had self-inflicted their wounds, each, te- sorry, each test subject responded, I must stay awake. After being removed from the chambers, the surviving test subjects still showed evidence of extreme strength, regardless of their lethal injuries and desperate desire to remain awake and sheer determination to remain alive. Also, they had unimaginable resistance to sedatives sedatives am i saying that right yep sedatives with desperate desire for the gas one of the things that the researchers discovered is that the subjects instantly died when they fell asleep what Mm -hmm. so like whatever that stimulant was was like poisoning them it sounds or almost makes me think of like you know if someone's like really addicted to hard drugs and they Mm -hmm. go off of them they can like die and stuff right yeah well even just like alcohol if you were an alcoholic and you stop yeah so i wonder if it's like withdrawal from the gas that they're being given Mm mm-hmm But eating their own fingers? Like, that's just weird. Yeah. So by now, two of the five test subjects were dead because the one fell asleep and died. Mm -hmm. The remaining three were being treated for their injuries in preparation for returning to the chamber to finish out the rest of the days. Oh, wow. However, a shocking discovery by the EGG monitor showed that each test subject was brain dead. Seems pretty apparent that the gas weapon the Soviet Union developed could mess with the human mind. So another one of the three prisoners fell asleep and died instantly just before the chamber was sealed for the second time, and the lead Russian sleep experiment researcher ended up shooting another one of the prisoners. Um, Before the researcher shot the last subject, he asked him who he was, and in response, the prisoner said, 
I'm the evil kept in check by sleep and resides in every human mind. And with that, he shot him dead and went on to cover up traces of the Soviet sleep experiment. Oh, my goodness. So, but I was right about the 30 days because they were putting him yes. back in for the other 15 yeah, days you're to right. do the experiment to so, finish it up. But I misunderstood hmm. at the beginning. <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. But that's crazy. So basically, it was almost like that person was saying, if you don't get sleep, you're going to be, you're like this evil evil thing will take you over because yeah. it gets put in check mm-hmm. when you're asleep. Yep. That's freaky. Scary. So at the beginning of this article I mentioned, and the article mentions that it's an urban myth that people don't know if is real or not real. Mm-hmm. So the next section of this article was, is, is it real? <laughs> okay. So it says, truth be told, the Russian sleep experiment never happened, meaning it's a made-up horror story. <laughs> oh, good. Because that was crazy. Yeah. So they said the sleep experiment first surfaced on the internet. It went viral almost instantly, engaging many in a debate regarding the story's authenticity. During the Soviet era, other nations believed that the Soviets conducted secret experiments. And while this may be true, the Russian sleep experiment was not one of them. So um, generally, the Russian sleep experiment is just a horror story, which made its first appearance on a wiki wiki page. Wiki? I always Mm -hmm. say it weird. Like a wiki how? Mm -hmm. Wiki wiki! With pictures. (laughs) Back in 2010. The story's username, so that it was written by someone with the username Orange Soda, but the um, the actual author, nobody knows who it is. Oh, gotcha. Hmm. Mm-hmm. They're famous and they don't even know it. Right. Or they well, know they it know and they it. don't they want know it. it. But imagine how crazy if you came up with this story and, and it is this, like, there's a movie made out of this now. Oh, and wow. Stuff. Mm-hmm. What's it called? I think it's called The Russian <laughs> Sleep, Sleep Experiment. Experiment. Oh. Okay. Well, let me double check that in case anyone, if you want to watch it, that's a little weird, but you do you. You do you, boo-boo. What kind of reminds me of the Slender Man story? Because that one was like a made-up thing too, right? Okay, so it looks like there's three, yes, that was, three different movies that exist. One called The Russian Sleep Experiment, one called The Sleep Experiment, and one called The Soviet Sleep Experiment. Huh. Ooh, so different. So go nuts. <laughs> Watch all three and let us know how they are. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I know it's it, it's not real, but it's such an interesting story that I've heard about so much. I was like, we might as well share it on here. That is so I had never heard it before, so yeah, I am happy that you shared it. Thank well, you. Well, I had heard that it wasn't real, but some people had reason to believe that something similar might be real. That's just what I've always understood. Mm. So by the time I got to the end of this article and it was like, is it real? I was like, I really hope it's not real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's – yeah, no. Thank goodness. But that was my story. So going without sleep is not healthy. And I think you do hallucinate. We talked oh, yeah. Because one of our other kind of like free-for-alls, you talked about the boy who won the world record. Yep. So – and. Yep, then slept for 13 hours, right? 13. Both times <laughs> That's the, what that it situation is. has happened. It's been 13, 13 hours. hours. Okay, so am I talk- going next, right? Yep. Okay, the momadon. So I got my information from encephalitis.info. I am going to be talking about a medical condition called encephalitis lethargia. Have you guys heard of it? I mean, I've heard you say it I've before. heard you say it, <laughs> and we make fun of you every time. Okay. Or just because I keep thinking both. The Lethargia. What? She just, it just sounds weird. It just is like a big, long medical term. Yeah. Encephalitis just means swallowing of the brain, by the way. So this article was by Dr. Ava Easton, Encephalitis Society, and reviewed by Dean Wallen, core medical trainee at the Winston Hospital in the UK. 
So this was just, I'm going to give you some history and like exactly what it is. And then I'm going to tell some personal like stories that people posted on their uh, page. So like you could share your own personal story. So um, encephalitis lethargia, what is it? It is a serious and rare form of encephalitis, which can present with variable and serious symptoms. It is typically seen during discrete epidemics, but sporadic cases still occur. So what is it exactly? I'll get there. Perfect. History. Since the late 16th century, epidemic outbreaks of the disease that appear to have been similar to EL, encephalitis lethargia. Oh, okay. I'm like, EL, EL. I'm racking <laughs> yep. my brain. Has, have been reported in various European countries. The name encephalitis lethargia itself was given by neurologist Constant von Ekimo in 1916 at an early stage of the epidemic that happened during and after the First World War. Difficulty in diagnosing and the lack of statistical records in many countries means the estimates of the number of cases have varied greatly. According to reports, it seems that historically there were prevalent along among males. So initially it was more males that were getting it than females. Mm-hmm. Most cases are at the younger end of the age spectrum, up to 30 to 40 years old. There was little confirmed data ar- around race and ethnicity, although some reports suggested mortality was lower among black people. For many years, encephalitis lethargia was regarded as a phenomenon of the past. In recent years, there have been a reoccurrence of interest in the disease. Concerning its cause and links with post-encephalitic Parkinsonism. So it's kind of connected to Parkinson's disease. That's where the Parkinsonism comes. Mm, Okay. The neurologist Oliver, Oliver Stack described the awakenings of past cases But recent papers have described contemporary cases and defined the disease in modern terms. Modern reports suggest that perhaps half a million to a million or more people were affected, of whom about one-third died. Patients who survived the encephalitis lethargia often develop a form of Parkinsonism called post-encephalitic, that's a hard word, so called post-encephalitic Parkinson's disease, which results in serious neurological disability. Okay, so give us a little recap real quick. So basically, it was just giving a little bit of the history, basically saying in World War II, there was an epidemic, or sorry, no, in the World War I, sorry, the First World War, there was an epidemic. They don't really know how many people died from it, but they are saying about a third of the people died from it. Okay. okay. So... Um, causes. So far, the cause is unknown. Several opinions argue that it started from the 1919 influenza epidemic as either an acute viral or a post-viral syndrome. More recent work linking encephalitis lethargia to a streptococcal infection, so strep, may prove more compelling than the influenza theory, although the last epidemic of encephalitis lethargia occurred nearly a century ago. The cause was never scientifically established and remains a matter of controversy today. This makes diagnosis difficult and is one of the reasons why we do not know how many cases of encephalitis lethargia there have been in recent times. 
So we still see sporadic cases of it today. However, some may actually be forms of autoimmune encephalitis, such as NMDA receptor encephalitis, and therefore all suspected cases of encephalitis lethargia should be tested. So I found that out too when I was doing this research is there's a ton of encephalitis. Yeah, so anyway, there's a lot of cases and encephalitis lethargy is hard to diagnose. It's, it's not clear all the time. So symptoms and diagnosis. The term sleeping sickness, now you're understanding why it's connected to a podcast about sleep, <laughs> where people seem to fall asleep or freeze while eating or working, was first used to describe two cases in Vienna. However, the disease can present a wide and sometimes confusing range of symptoms, often with unusual and bizarre behavior. There are indications that a majority of the cases were referred to psychiatrists before being admitted to a hospital. If the symptoms progressed, it is often mistaken for epilepsy, hysteria, intoxication, or reaction to drugs. Huh. So m people are more likely to think that you're suffering a brain psychosis mm -hmm. and not necessarily having like a physical ailment. So it's like it just gets mistreated sometimes. Correct. Or diagnosed, I guess we should say. Yep. Uh, proposed diagnostic criteria for encephalitis lethargia, which have been widely accepted, including includes an acute or subacute encephalitis illness, where all other known causes of encephalitis have been excluded. So there's really not a test for it. You have to exclude all the other types. Mm, and then that's kind of like the end result. Yep. Hmm. More recently, it has been suggested that the diagnosis of encephalitis lethargia may be considered if a patient's condition cannot be attributed to any other known neurological condition, and they show the following signs, influenza-like symptoms, hypersomnolence, hypersomnia, so like sleeping, uh, wakeability, ophthalmo, sorry, this is a hard word, ophthalmalgia, a paralysis of muscles that control movement of the eyes. That's why opta, like ophthalmology. Yeah. And uh, psych psychiatric changes. So the treatment. There is no known cure and no clearly effective treatment. Historically, success has been claimed by steroids or anti-inflammatory drugs, anti-Parkinson's drugs, and electroconvulsive therapy, or, CT, or ECT. So, yeah. Electric, ele electric shock therapy is what it used to be called. Oh, okay. Uh, during the initial stages of illness, body functions uh, need to be maintained, often involve intensive care therapy. As the condition settles, it is a matter of maintaining and hopefully improving function by good physical therapy, speech therapy, and nutrition, as well as providing emotional support. So basically, you become in a comatose state. Mm -hmm. Some people may make a full recovery, some unfortunately die, and others a Parkinson-type state may persist. So Parkinson disease is when you kind of are shaky all the time. Uh, Von Ekmo wrote, to look at these patients, one would suppose them to be in a state of profound secondary dementia, emotions, and scarcely noticeable in the face, but they are mentally intact. So they're not able to like show their emotion. Um, and that sounds like with that last part, because a lot of people with Parkinson's disease, and I've seen this actually firsthand multiple times, they can start to get um, dementia in the end before, and then they usually pass away after that. Gotcha. I'm not a doctor, but I've seen it a few times <laughs> uh -huh. in real life. 
And so they're basically just saying that that's how some people who do survive, they never get back to normal function. Gotcha. So on the site, there were just a couple of stories, but I'm going to share this one first and then I'll share a couple of like personal stories. This one was called A Letter from Your Brain. And it's by uh, Stephanie St. Clair, printed in the Brain Injury Association of Carolina website. And it says, it may help you understand what happens to your brain after encephalitis. As time passes and you feel better and better, people, even doctors, will tell you that we are fine. It's time to get on with your life. That sounds good to me and probably even better to you. But before you go rushing back out into the big wide world, I need you to listen to me. Really listen. Don't shut me out. When I'm getting into trouble, I need you to help more than I ever have before. I know that we want to believe that we are going to be the same. I'll do my best to make that happen. The problem is that too many people in our situation get impatient and try to rush the healing process. Or when their brains can't fully recover, they deny it. And instead of adapting, they force their brains to function in ways that, are no, that they're no longer able to do that. Able to do. Not the that. <laughs> it made sense, though. Some people even push their brains until they seize. And worse, I'm scared. I'm afraid that you will do that to me. Please don't be embarrassed or feel guilt or shame because of me. We are okay. We have made it this far. If you work with me, we can make it even further. I can't say how far. I won't make any false promises. I can only promise you this, that I will do my best. What I need you to do, because neither of us knows how badly I've been hurt, things are still a little foggy for me, or how much I will recover, or how quickly, please go slowly. When you start back trying to resume your life, if I give you a headache or make you sick to your stomach or make you unusually irritable or confused, disoriented or afraid, or make you feel that you are overdoing it, I'm trying to get your attention in the only way I can. Stop and listen to me. Love your wounded brain. So, and now, so, and I'm just going to point out, so I have a story called Allie's Story. And then Aileen's story. Funny they both start with A's. I didn't realize (laughs) that. But um, so I couldn't find any specific to encephalitis lethargia. Okay. But it seems that encephalitis causes a lot of the same symptoms. So like the aftermath is still very similar. Okay. Even though it's not the exact same thing. So you're just sharing stories of people who have that. Yeah. And when I actually heard about this encephalitis lethargia on on another podcast I listened to about like medical things. And, it, I mean, when this came out, there was, like, L-DOPA was just a new drug for, like, Parkinson's disease mm-hmm. that they started trialing because they were just, like, so confused. It's like, how can we help these people because they just get lethargic? That's yeah. why it's called encephalitis lethargia. lethargia. So they basically just – it's like they're asleep, but they don't really sleep. That's so interesting. And so in that podcast, it was talking about, like, they'll just be, like, in bed or whatever, like, they're asleep, but you could say something to them and they just answer you. Oh, my goodness. What? Like, so it's like they're there and they're listening, but they have, like, no emotion. They can't, like, express that they're there. Mm -hmm. It's just, like, they're just asleep. That is so interesting. And they're, like, very – and, like – and they said, like, here, too, like, they're almost like they're a statue. Like, they're immobile. Yeah. It's it's, it's just sad. It is. (laughs) It's going to make me a little cry. A little teary. So this is Alyssa's story. I am a classical composer and theater writer from Ireland, now based in Lancashire. I contracted encephalitis at age five, 
It started with measles, followed immediately by chickenpox and then encephalitis. I was ill for a long time, missed a lot of school, and was cared for at home by my mother. It was Christmas Eve in the early 1980s when I was at my lowest, like a rag doll propped up on the sofa. The doctor visited late at night, reluctant to have me admitted to the hospital as I was contagious. He told my mother, if she makes it through tonight, she might well survive. My mother sat with me all night. She later told me how she kept her eye on the clock and prayed and willed me to stay alive. She believed that if I made it to 6 a.m. on Christmas morning, that I would survive, and she was right. I did survive, but I was gravely ill. It was to be almost a year before I was well enough to return to school. Wow. Wait, use the term gravely ill? Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. Yeah. like I've just never heard of I don't think I've heard of that before. Gravely ill? That's I a think not common phrase. It's, yeah. It is, but it doesn't, I don't think Wait. it's normally gravely. Yeah, it is. Or is like, it? I think nowadays we probably just say you're very ill. Or extremely ill. Yeah, but I think gravely means like you could die. Well, yeah, You could grave. go to your grave. I know. I'm just saying I made that connection. I'm yeah, never you're like, like, whoa. Whoa, wait, gravely ill. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, she says, I have vivid memories of some of my experience of encephalitis, the frustration of losing my ability to walk and to speak, the frustration of my brother that I was sick and still lying on the couch. So, like, he was annoyed, like, <laughs> oh, gosh, she's still there. Sad. An understandable reaction from a sibling. The intense dreams and hallucinations. I would see objects floating in the air which was always try- that I was always trying to touch. My mother wanted me to return to school. She felt passionately that I was better off in class around other children. She wanted me to re- get reintegrated. It was a slow process. At first, I attended school for just an hour a day, slowly built this up over months. My teacher did not seem convinced that I would ever recover, as I would spend most of my time laying my, laying my head on my desk, listless and weak. Thanks to my mother's care, I made a good recovery. I sustained a hearing impairment from the encephalitis. I wear hearing aids and lip read. Despite the difficulties this has presented, I now work in sound and music as a professional composer. Of course, I am somewhat limited in what I can do. However, this has been that my approach to composition and indeed performing, um, she says she's a pianist, Mm -hmm. has been highly influenced by my experience. I do things differently than others. I found a way to make it work somehow. My memory, ability to concentrate, and to retain information has generally been far below my peers. That, combined with my hearing issues, meant my experience of school was poor. Academically, I barely made it through. Despite this, I persevered and have since graduated from university with postgraduate degrees, diplomas, and more recently was awarded a significant award which both acknowledges my achievements in professional music and invests in my ongoing development. Wow. Yay. I know. It's, it's nice to hear like a success story. Yeah. Although it was a very difficult time for my mother and myself, my experience of encephalitis has made me who I am. Having a serious illness in childhood and the isolation it brought encouraged an independence of thought and creativity. While the long-term effects do have their challenges, I have been lucky enough to know from a young age what I wanted to do in life. A determination to get well and not let my experience of the illness get the best of me means I have managed to carve out a modest living doing what I love most. Hmm. And then the next one is 
Aileen's story, the different sides of encephalitis. The first time you said that, I thought you said alien. Oh. Like earlier when you said they both start with A. <laughs> so I was like, alien yeah. story. Aileen, A-L-E-N-A. So Alina. Sorry. At 19 years old, Alina was healthy, active, and pursuing an education degree at her local community college in Maryland. When sudden personality changes and severe depression sidetracked her life, doctors struggled to diagnose Alina with, uh, with what would ultimately be identified as brain inflammation due to anti-NMDA receptor encephalitis. Reaching its peak in December of 2015, Alina had been struggling with depression that robbed her of motivation and joy. A few weeks later, Alina began feeling more unlike herself, acting erratically and experiencing emotional personality shifts that confounded her family. Her eyes bulged, worrying her friends. Suddenly, her symptoms took a turn for the worse, and Alina began experiencing severe headaches and threatening hallucinations. At this point, her family rushed her to the local hospital, where doctors were astounded by her symptoms and recommended that she be placed in a psychiatric ward. Luckily, Alina's sister, a neurobehavioralist, understood that her symptoms were not indicative of a psychiatric issue and instead advocated for alternative care. So how lucky was she that she had somebody in her family who knew? No. Yeah, seriously. Like, I work in that field and that is not like, what's going on. Not, yeah, exactly. Alina was sent home to recover with her family when she experienced her first seizure. Upon transferring to a larger hospital, she slipped into a coma and was finally diagnosed with encephalitis. She stayed in the hospital for over two months while her family researched her condition and her doctors continued to care for her swollen brain. When she finally awoke, she was transferred to another hospital where she reclaimed to or where she relearned to hold a pencil, walk, and speak properly, all activities that were impacted by encephalitis. However, when she was finally well enough to return home in April of 2016, Alina continued to experience erratic behavior. So that was December of 2015 when she, like, really started to have problems until April, till she was able to go home. To her and her family's confusion, Alina acted impulsively childlike, often feeling overstimulated by people and noises. She was completely aware of her actions, puzzled as to why her old self was locked inside her head. In my mind, I knew the things I wanted to do, say, and act. My old self was in my head, but the outside didn't reflect it. That is interesting to feel like that. Yeah. It's like you you know what you want to do, but it's like your body won't cooperate. That would be so hard. Over time and with help of many speech, occupational, and physical therapists, Alina now feels close to 100%. The most noticeable lasting issue is a change in her voice caused by extended intubation, which damaged her vocal cords. Oh, I know. Sucks. Although things will never be the same after encephalitis, Alina no longer feels a disconnect between her outside self and her internal feelings. That's good. And she feels emboldened to achieve great things and share her encephalitis story. After encephalitis, everything about yourself is uprooted. There are moments where you miss the person you were, but in some ways, my life has changed for the better. With the support of her family and friends, Alina was able to return to college one class at a time. Five years later, Alina is in the last semester of her graduate school where she is studying communication management, in addition to working full-time as a proofreader. I lost my voice, but I also found it. Now when Alina waken, wakes up in the morning, she is excited to pursue, pursue interests she is passionate about. 
building relationships with her family and friends, and educating others about encephalitis through her work in graduate school. Organizations like the Encephalitis Society are working to build better futures by driving research, accelerating awareness, and saving lives to create a world where encephalitis matters to everyone. Alina is also working with the Encephalitis Society to help raise awareness of this often misdiagnosed disease, the symptoms and severe consequences, and the support available to patients and their families. Wow. So that's that's why I wanted to talk about it, because it's something that, like we were saying earlier, it can be misdiagnosed. Some They can just think you're literally having like a psychic break when really your head is swollen. Yeah. And therefore it cannot function. Wow. Also, Did I say brain or head? You said head, but we knew it. <laughs> we, we got you. Your brain is swollen. Yeah, so you can't function properly. Well, I was just going to say, too, like, I know that we like to keep things kind of, like, silly on here and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I like that we talk about these conditions and stuff that a lot of people are not familiar with. Yeah, bringing awareness to things. That's what I always tell people. I'm like, you'll enjoy it. You'll learn something, and you might not even know that you're learning. <laughs> because... <laughs> We're a little silly. Yeah. Or a lot silly. A lot, but that's okay. Okay, Tasha, your turn. Okay. So I have, or I guess I chose a story about, I want to say the name's pronounced Dion. Dion? Is that right? That's a D-I-O-N? Yeah, Dion. Like Celine Dion. Correct. So the name is Dion McGregor. And he... I actually really like that name. Dion McGregor. Sounds like cool. Anyway, go ahead. Dion. Dion. Um, alive 1922 to 1994. Okay. So he's already passed. And he was an American songwriter known for talking in his sleep. He was born in New York City. Okay. So as a songwriter, McGregor's biggest success came when his song, Where in the Wonder, which was also co-written by a roommate, and his name was Michael Barr. It was recorded by Barbara Sterzind, I believe, on her hit album, My Name is Barbara, which came out in 1965. Okay, so there's a reason why I don't recognize any of these names. Yeah, like it's older. (laughs) They're they're older, yeah, yeah. So he was unable to find much success afterwards. However, by the 1980s, he had given up songwriting, Despite his lack of success as a song lyricist, McGregor's narrat—oh, excuse me—McGregor's narration of his vivid dream-like provided a more unique artistic contribution than any usual record. So his dream life, his dream life. Okay. So basically, started off as a songwriter is no longer a songwriter, but he is known for his what they call dream life and i'll go over that so originally when he moved upstairs into his fellow songwriter michael bars that i mentioned flat on the first avenue he found a truly appreciative audience early each morning bar would creep into the living room and place a microphone near the head of mcgregor's bed and would press record Oh, okay. So th- the roommate, basically. The roommate is like the one who found out that he sleep talks. Okay. okay? Interesting. So although 14% of us sleep talk regularly, it's normally little more than a few mumbles or sentences. Barr, 
the roommate, however, recorded stories of such detail that even McGregor was surprised at the content. Fascinated, Barr would often show them to his friends. For Barr, these narratives were really the highlight of his life. Oh, okay. So he enjoyed, like, sharing the information from his roommate. Yeah, he was kind of like, oh, okay, this is... This is cool. This is cool. This is cool. So Barr, the roommate, was delighted to have brought these strange tales to a wider audience in his later ambitions... Or, excuse me, his later ambitions were to actually write a musical based on, like, the episodes or stories that McGregor would tell in his sleep. Interesting. McGregor left somewhat... McGregor felt somewhat embarrassment by the attention. Um, in his own words, he quote says, it was like being famous for wetting the bed. Oh. So it was kind of like embarrassing for him, but yet the roommate was like so excited and wanted to like write these plays. Like it was just like mm-hmm. kind of going off of McGregor. So. Yeah, he wasn't sure. He's like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. According to some... The records may not be to everyone's taste, but they did catch the attention of Harvard's Desiree Barnett. And she points out that sleep talkers do not always coincide with dreams. The speech seems more like a reflex without a story attached to it. In other cases, however, sleep talkers do report dreams that match their recorded, I think the word tsunami. Synomiquies? Oh, sonography? No, what am I saying? The word for somniloquy. Yes, thank you. That's what that was the scientific word for sleep talking that we didn't know how to say before. Yes, somniloquy. Because our episode was called Sleep Talking, aka somniloquy. And then we said we don't know what that. We don't know. We can't say it either. So basically, the Harvard individual Barrett, she says. This probably can explain or be explained by a hybrid sleep state somewhere between your rapid eye movement, sleep that normally hosts dreams, and a shadowing of awake consciousness. So he's like in between. Oh, okay. So it's like he's dreaming, but yet it's his stories aren't associated with like him remembering a dream. It's like he's just telling a story and it's just she's just kind of saying, you know, it's in the middle of that. Interesting. Frame of. So his brain could be dreaming and then he could be talking about something completely different. No, I think it's like he's talking. He's like talking out loud because he's a sleep talker. But just because he's telling a story doesn't mean he actually was dreaming that story. Yeah. Like it's not connecting. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So his brain is like doing two different things. Like his brain is dreaming about something else and then he's talking. If dreaming at all. Good point. Yeah. I think that's where you lost me. I was like, okay. well, no, because he could not be. Anyways. He might yes, not It be could dreaming. be either, I guess. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess they don't know. Yeah, they don't know, I guess. Or at least we don't know. So um, Barrett's point was to work and measure the brain activity of sleep talkers as they slept in a lab. Um, Dion McGregor may have been one of the subjects, though there is no firm evidence of this. But sure enough... Um, they found that there was a constellation of brain activity regions that appeared to combine signatures of REM sleep with greater activity in the motor cortex, which is an area that would normally be mute during sleep. So it's, basically, so it's like acting yeah. off one of another. So it's kind of like people who do I, do things in their sleep too, like drive or yeah. walk. Yeah, it's, it's just kind of the same thing. It is kind of the same His thing. mouth is moving instead of his body. 
McGregor died in 1994, never living to see his renewed interest in the sleep talking, though it is unlikely he would have ever released it. Released it? it? That's what it says. Released? Released it. Released? Okay. I don't know. It says R-E-L-I-S-H-E-D. All right. Released. 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 I guess I don't know what that means. One of the two. I don't know either. I guess we can Google it. I just I almost said something the first time, but I was like, maybe I heard you wrong. <laughs> Means to enjoy greatly. Oh, oh okay. So, he never would have enjoyed it anyway because he was embarrassed by it. Exactly. So got it. to restate that. I think he we was got never it. there to do it, but he probably wouldn't have enjoyed it. Yes. Gotcha. Um later in life it says meeting his life partner and moving to Oregon seemed to have changed him. Even though he never claimed to be fraught with anxiety. He surmised that maybe it was because he just got it all out in his sleep. And when he found himself at peace and happy, then that's when the sleep talking subsided. Okay. So after he basically got with a partner, whatever was causing him to sleep talk, I guess, was resolved. Yeah. Like it uh, slowly diminished or went away over time. And now hear me out. Yes. Was he faking it? That I will touch on real quickly. Okay. Oh. Because I was like, well, if they were trying to get famous. Yeah, maybe. Because the songwriting didn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. So Barbara, the individual from Harvard. Harvard? Harvard, yes. (laughs) Um, And I'm sorry. It's not Barbara. I keep saying Barbara. It's Barrett. Oh, Barrett. Barrett, yeah. I don't know why when I see it, I think Barbara. But anyways. Um, So they say, she says, he says, now I'm actually unsure if I said it was a girl or a boy. but Because now I'm confusing myself. (laughs) But they say... Of course, we can totally discount the possibility that McGregor was faking it. But given McGregor's apparent basement at the recordings, Barrett is skeptical that that would be the case. Okay. So they don't think it's fake. He was embarrassed by the recordings. It just says basement. It looks like amusement. Bemusement. He was bemused, which Ah. means he was unhappy. Okay, yes. So Barrett says, I don't think they would ever suspect to make a lot of money from this, she says. If you can pull it into a scam category, it would seem very an unlikely scam. Yeah. They're just saying. I guess, "Mm -hmm." but he could also pretend that he didn't like the recordings. Like if that's That's the reasoning for why it wasn't fake is because he wasn't happy about it. (laughs) It doesn't sound like they got famous for it either way. That's true. Well... We're talking about it. We're talking it. about it. <laughs> We're talking about it. He must be somewhat famous. But regardless, it's an interesting story. <laughs> I mean, it's just, and I mean, I have a picture that I'll give Lexi to put within like the, the socials. Okay. And it's him in his roommate bar. Mm-hmm. The ones that. The one that recorded him. I believe so. Yes, yes. it is. I promise. <laughs> just well, go no, with no, it. No, who but told us? I know, but it says oh, in the photo. In the photo, I'm making oh. sure. So it's Dion, the um, McGregor. McGregor. And it says he's pictured on the right in the scene from Peter DeRoma's film, Mumbo Jumbo. Oh, so he must have been in a film at oh. one point. Okay. All right. Well, I'll just share the well, pi- we'll share the picture. <laughs> we'll share the picture see. of him. You can see him. Sorry. I, I can didn't Google realize. a different picture of him. I just assumed it was bar. I guess I was wrong. But anyways. Um, but I have some a little clip like audio. Let um, me share real quick. Oh, okay, sleep talking. I like the sleep talking. Okay. Yeah, so let me get that. They wag. Yes. I'm the highest banker right down to the lowest sweeper in the tradesman store. 
Tongues wag. Yes, they do. When they've got a lot to wag about. Hmm. It says so funny. Heck? That's so weird. I know. Okay, and then this one's called Food Roulette. Turn it around, turn it around. Spin that lazy Susan and everybody take what they want off it. Hurry, hurry, grab it, grab it, grab it, grab it. We're playing Food Roulette, Food Roulette. Yes, there's a poison declare on there. We have a poison declare on there and somebody's going to get it. Now, spin it, spin it, spin it, spin it. That's so that weird. crazy. Yeah, that's so. It's so, a poison declare. Declare. So yeah, you know what? Hey, that's there what just we'll might do. be. <laughs> I would get the poison declare. I love eclairs. So what we'll do? There's actually a picture of an eclair that they put on the website. So I'll give that to Lexi, and then we'll find maybe <laughs> a, a better of picture of him. But I just was like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Like, so I mean, yeah, it's totally like valid that Lexi's like he could have just been like saying all that in his sleep and making it up but they're saying highly unlikely yeah so yeah anyways I thought that was very interesting well and if he was coming up with stuff like that he's pretty imaginative yeah either way like if he was faking it oh come on you wouldn't just randomly come up with a poison declare no I think that's my dream that would be a dream talking (laughs) it does sound like dream stuff it does and to make a point on that there's a section in this article called the dream catcher and it says clearly McGregor's brain was not like a simply constrained or mundane everyday brain brain it says within each story there's certain intellectual logic Mm -hmm. into what's going on interesting Oh. I just thought it was so funny. Yeah, just that whole thing is very weird. <laughs> it is. It's a very interesting story that I've never heard about. That's why we do free for all. That's why we do what we do. Well, there that was you go. Fun. Now you know about Mr. McGregor. McGregor. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a lazy Susan, and I'm gonna put a bunch of food on it. And next time we have family dinner, I'll be like, food roulette. Grab your food. <laughs> I won't put a poison in class. Yeah, I was about to say, don't poison us. No, for sure not. But that's just funny. That's what I had. <laughs> and the other one, was he talking about tongues wagging? It was our town. That one was called our town. Sorry, I should have prefaced. And so it was talking about like, oh, yeah, like our town, you'll be wagging or something like, you know, uh, like this town's just a... Maybe he was talking to a dog. Maybe. Maybe. Like you're going to love this town. Yeah. Your little tail's going to be wagging or something. Ah, mm. Maybe. I'll put the... um. I'll have Mom and Don put the website to that particular article so you can go listen to the full audios if you want to okay yeah yep that sounds good perfect sounds good and then while you're on a website just go to a couple other websites and follow us on all of our social media at dead to the world podcast and then you can move right over to your phone and go ahead and go to your platform that you listen to us on and give us a rate or a review whichever one it'll let you do or both or both (laughs) i guess they're kind of the same things but anyways Please email us at deadtotheworldpodcast at gmail.com with all your amazing dream or non-dream related stories. (laughs) Okay. Thank you. And join us next week to find out what happens when we are dead to the world. world.